Hey everyone, it's Matt Harmon from the Yahoo Fantasy Football Show. Are you sad there's no fantasy football going on right now? Yeah, me too. I've got good news for you though. It is fantasy baseball season right now. Join a public league, join an instant draft, or create a league with your buddies before opening day. It's Yahoo Fantasy Baseball time. Sign up for the 2024 fantasy baseball season at yahoo.com slash fantasy baseball or on the Yahoo Fantasy app. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world capable of winning the American League Central. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. And as a whole, podcasts are not good at baseball. Hey, someone's got to win the AL Central. And we volunteer as tribute on this episode of Baseball Barbacast. We are going to talk about the somehow still growing disparity between the AL East and the AL Central, as well as some uh, AL West chat. Because with the Rangers and Mariners series, the Astros and Angels series this week felt like a good time to check in on that division. And then, of course, we will talk about the A's. So a lot of AL talk, uh, second half of the show. We're going to check in on some prospects. We're going to talk about the Mets, who are kind of a New York mess right now. Follow up on the Wilson Contreras thing. Give you an email. But most importantly, Jake, we have a special guest. It's Wednesday. We do. Special guest Wednesday. Pedro Mora, our former colleague at Fox Sports, has left the industry after a decade covering baseball as a journalist. And we are going to have a little exit interview with Pedro to talk about his time in the game, what he learned, why he's walking away from a job that many young, nerdy people like we used to be would love to have and what he is going to like do we now. Still so, are. Like we still are. So stay tuned for that. It is going to be a little bit different, but kind of a very interesting meta look at the world of baseball. But because we are proud Americans, Jordan, let us begin in the American League East and how it relates to the American League Central. I tweeted this out last night, but for the first time in a long time, the teams are in order. And that here's what I mean by that. The worst team in the American League East, the New York Yankees have a better record than the best team in the American League Central, the Minnesota Twins. The Yankees are 20 and 17. The Twins are 19 and 17. Okay. We have an enormous disparity in quality between the American League East and the American League Central. Jordan, where do you want to hop in on this? Well, the first obvious place to begin is, is this really news, right? This quirk in the standings on May 10th is certainly notable as evidenced by the fact that your tweet has over 5,600 likes. And according to Elon Musk's extremely reliable numbers, 1 million views (laughs) this tweet has. So clearly people, this is a topic and a, a talking point that has already permeated. And now it is almost like a solar eclipse of the standings that shows us 
exactly what we've all been screaming about for a long time now. Now, at the same time, AL Central fans will be like, oh yeah, okay, Yankees, how many World Series have you been in in the last, you know, so many years, right? We got the, of course, the Guardians, and we got a freaking Royals World Series. Like, what up? Like, the Tigers were in the World Series more recently than you were. You know, they, and they can say that, and that is a fair retort, and that is a fair retort. But right now, the talent gap is so overwhelming, not just the standings gap, but the kinds of players and the some of the best players in the league and the performances that we're seeing really is ridiculously Tilted, and what this has brought up is the simple question is, is this, should we fix this? Is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? And I'm curious where you fall down on that. I want to start why we're here. So I think it is easy to look at the East and the Central and say there are bigger markets in the East. Those teams have more money and they are able to compete more consistently. There's some truth to that, but I think studies have been done, right, that show that payroll and win totals are not necessarily correlated all the time, that the the connection there is weaker than I think we usually um, believe it to be. That being said, there's certainly an aspect of this, right? Like, And I think that's just because the Yankees and the Red Sox have so much money to spend that they are very rarely horrible. Even the Red Sox last year, when they were terrible, they won like 78 games. Exactly. Right? And so these two teams are still relatively competitive. And then you have the Blue Jays is a big market being the only team in Canada. And the two small market teams in the American East, East, Tampa and Baltimore, are now like machines. They are juggernauts. They are baseball talent development apparatuses that have built winning ball clubs the, the long way, I guess is what I would say. And if you compare that to the Central – you have, yes, smaller markets, but you don't have these like consistent juggernaut machines building great teams all the time. Now, it's fair to ask, okay, so why is that the case? Is it chance, right? Is it the market size? I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah, and I also well, think- and, Well, actually, let me, let me say one more thing. And I think it's a self-affirming prophecy too. Mm-hmm. I think this is important. If you know that your division sucks- it lowers the bar for how good you need to be to win it. That means you spend less money. That means you have less investment from ownership, right? And that continues to lower the overall talent pool in the division. Whereas the AL East is like an arms race, right? The only way to win it is to spend money and invest and develop and do all these things. And it creates a different culture within the division. Or, you know, suck for four years and then become the Orioles, right? Hell yeah, baby. If you can be really good at all those things. And that's the other thing. So much of this is is development, is these front offices. We've spent a lot of time in the recent weeks talking about the White Sox, a team that while, yes, you could say Jerry Reinsdorf should be spending more money. Sure, we could say that about every owner. Um, You know, he's not running $40 million payrolls. Uh, or $60 million payrolls the way we've seen in Cleveland, who has had success, but as we are seeing the limitations of that this season. But I think the point you just made is a great one. I think the best example of that in some ways is look across to the NL Central. Look at the way that the Cardinals have kind of built their team and been very judicious in the way that they spend their money in free agency. We know how that's turned out this season in a very comical fashion. But for a while, they could just be like, 
why, why are we pushing all the chips in right now? Why do we need to do all this? Because we're probably going to win the division anyway. Eventually, that's going to come back and bite you. But I totally agree with you. I think that when the bar is lower, you feel less compelled to make big moves. At the same time, who's in first place for the AL Central right now? It's the team that managed to re-sign Carlos Correa. It's the team that went out and got Pablo Lopez. And sure, they clearly missed Luis Arise at least a little bit. But this is a team that knew. This is why the Twins, even with their disaster season, were like, it's fine. We can get right back in this thing. And they did. And they've proven it. And are, are they better? Are the Twins better than any of the teams in the AL East? I mean, that's really the question that we're talking about. Because right now, it's a standings quirk, right? But like, Twins versus Red Sox, I mean, I think I, I think the Twins are better. I think the Twins are better. But it's but it's close. It is a conversation. Because it's not just about the standings. It's is the, quali- the actual quality of these teams. Do you, do you believe all five of these teams are worse than all five of the teams in the AL East? And you can make an argument. You can make an argument. I think I do. I think I do believe that. Now, will they end up with a worse record is a different question just because of the more. I know we have a more balanced schedule this year, and that is certainly playing a role in this, right? Because the Twins and the Guardians are not able to beat up uh, on the White Sox and the Royals as much and the Tigers and the the bottom half. Um, But there still are more games in division. And so by the end of the year, I do think that the top team in the AL Central will have a better record than the worst team in the AL East. But I want to zoom out more because we've gotten some tweets about this, and I, we have not really talked about this, so I'm, I'm curious your perspective here. But with the balanced schedule, uh, now people are saying, okay, well, why, if we're going to have a balanced schedule, and I know with expansion this could really change, that is, that's really likely when the structure of the leagues and the standings is more likely to change. But right now, do you feel there is an argument, even though I don't think it will really ever happen, to have a more NBA-style standings where it's the best X number of teams in the league versus the division winners and, you know, the next three wildcard teams. I I don't, but again, like that, this is a weird example of traditionalism where I am holding on and I don't really have a good explanation, like logical reason why, other than I'm so used to this being the structure and how I think of the sport, right? I like that we, I like thinking about the sport in divisions. And I think that even with the balanced schedule, I do think you are still playing these teams more often than the others. And I, and I like that. I like that. Even if it's maybe technically unfair, I'm glad the balanced schedule helps that. But I'm also glad that they're not playing every team the exact same number of times. And so even though they're not playing them 19 times the way they were before, I still like it in divisions. And I wouldn't want to change that. Well, because it creates interesting relationships between teams and it it kind of layers the spice on the pan, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. It creates interesting scenarios and um, establishes a unique identity within each of these divisions that I think is a good thing. And so much of like ba- it, it's balancing what is, quote, fair and what is entertaining or intriguing or interesting. And I, even as someone who roots for the Orioles, okay, who would benefit from them being the second seed or whatever in the American League in a new alignment, I want to keep it the way it is because I like that it's weird and that it doesn't make sense and that it's bizarre. Not everything always needs to be the fairest it can be in professional sports in regards to like balancing out the teams. And the other thing I would say about this that it makes me think of is college sports. And I'm going to focus mostly on college baseball. But, you know, you have conferences that are way better than the other conferences. But 
every conference or most conferences get an automatic qualifier that gets into the tournament, which is great. But because of the way it is with the at-large system, you're going to still get 10 teams from the SEC because that is the best conference by far. And honestly, the fact that we have three wild cards now, we might end up with four AL East teams anyway. And great, if they deserve it and they are better and they have better records than the AL Central because it's more balanced now and it's much easier for them. They're competing against more of the same teams over the course of the season. Then great. I feel like that that's not a bad way to do it. Sure. Does it look goofy if the 87 win twins are a division winner and thus have a better postseason placement than a 93 win fourth place ALE team? Sure. But like, I don't care that much. To your point, it is still representative. And I'm, I am glad that we are having, I, I, I like this format. And especially with the extra wildcard team, there is room and possibility to still have a ton of AL East representation the same way that you have in college baseball where you have obviously your automatic qualifier from the Summit and the MAC and the you know all these conferences and SEC fans are like why doesn't every SEC team would kick you know they'd kick the ass of whoever wins the Summit League it's like sure but is this really that interesting don't you want to see Oral Roberts go down to Florida and have to play Florida like that that is just more interesting all this is entertainment we want to have the mixing and matching and I would want to have that too I like seeing the the contrast of the kinds of teams that comes out of, of all these divisions so I, that's kind of where I'm at on it. I, I do agree that fair versus entertaining uh, at this point, I think we really should be leaning entertaining. And I think we've seen baseball treated that way as well. And I think you're right that realignment will completely change this, but that's not coming for a number of years. And it hurts my head to think about. Jordan, you are the westernmost member of this podcast. Yeah, You live way in Indiana. There. Which in like 1820 might as well have been the Pacific Ocean. You know what I mean? So we're going to label you the American League West correspondent. Mm. So I don't know a whole lot about the American American League West. I know that Shohei Otani is out there somewhere. I know that the Astros have won a couple World Series recently. I know that the Oakland A's are in New York right now. So I guess they're not in the West anymore. What's happening in in that division? Yeah. So here's why I want to talk about it. Because while we are, it is easy to look at the AL East and say, oh my God, what a melee. These, all five of these teams are trying to win. And it's true. And those teams are arguably more star-studded and more, you know, have more historic significance and all those things, right? I totally get that. But if we're just looking at the standings on May 10th and we're projecting forward and we're trying to see what is this race actually going to look like for the division? I still see a Yankees team that is nine games back. I see a Red Sox team that is eight games back. Blue Jays, seven and a half. The Orioles are five and a half back because the Rays have just been that good. And as you've pointed out, it's very possible that the Rays will fall back to earth and it will be a legitimate division race. But I'm looking at the standings, you know, six weeks into the season, and I'm not seeing that close of a race. Whereas the AL West right now, the fourth place Mariners, who are also the third place Mariners, are three and a half back of the first place Rangers. It is the closest gap between first place and fourth place in all of baseball. Uh, you know, God, the White Sox are now only six and a half back of Minnesota, as we just mentioned. The Reds are only five and a half back. Uh, I'm talking about fourth place teams, five and a half back of the Pirates. Uh, you know, Phillies and Mets are eight games back, Giants five games back of the Dodgers. But three and a half games between first and third and fourth because the Astros and Mariners are tied. And this week we have the Mariners and Rangers playing and the Astros and Angels playing. So what I wanted to do is is kind of 
think back, where were we going into this season as far as what we expected this division to look like? Because in my head, it was the Astros are the best team in baseball, or at least one of the three best teams in baseball at the absolute worst, even with the injuries. That's how I felt. Even with the Altuve injury and McCullers out, I still felt that, right? I felt that the Rangers and Angels were both in the 70 or 90 win category of this could go very right and this could go very wrong. And the Mariners, I thought, were just like a good team that should be in the uh, get right where they were last year, maybe a little bit worse. Did they get that much better? Whatever. And so I, I felt they were in the wildcard mix, but clearly behind Houston. Clearly right. behind Houston. And right? 80, That's where I was. An 86-win team that could you know get some good luck and mm-hmm. some timely hitting. Mm-hmm. And what we have so far is a Rangers team that is in first place, is averaging more runs per game than any team in baseball. Even more than the race, okay? Uh, and yes, they've had their stats over the weekend against Anaheim. We have an Angels team that is still very flawed, but doesn't suck. Doesn't suck. Yep, yep. But very flawed. An Astros team that part of the reason why we were so bullish was, oh my God, you had Jose Abreu. He's been the worst hitter in baseball. Their pitching injuries are piling up. Luis Garcia just got Tommy John. While I trust the J.P. Francis of the world that are coming up, there, there's problems here in Houston. I still think they're a really, really good roster, but it's not going that great right now, and they are still very injured, okay? And then a Mariners team who have arguably the best pitching staff in the league, or at least top two or three, and their at-bats right now are completely horrific, right? And so what I'm seeing now is a, a legitimate, interesting mix of teams, and I want to know, I know I've been watching more than you have, where are you seeing this going? And, and what, what would you guess as to how this ends up lining up uh, based on where we stand today? And it's, hard, it's hard to say, but I, I, I think we're headed towards a much more interesting race than we really thought. I agree with you. I see it still as the Astros is the best team in this division. I think it is impressive that they have not completely fallen off a cliff like the Cardinals or the White Sox have. I mean, yep. they've only had two above-average hitters. Three, I yep. guess. Jordan, Kyle Tucker, and Chaz McCormick. Everyone else, Alex Bregman, Jeremy Pena, Abreu, they've all been bad. Yeah. Like, below-average hitters. Part of the the problem is that Altuve broke his hand or his finger or whatever in the WBC, and so he's been out. And Michael Brantley still hasn't played a game. And they're, they, like, gave, you know, at-bats to Ryland Bannon, which you would never imagine, and... Somebody named Corey Jolks has had 94 plate appearances. But they have not fallen off a cliff. Like they are at 500 and their Pythagorean projected record is 20 and 16 based upon their runs scored and allowed. Like they have kept this thing from sinking, mostly due to the pitching, due to Framber, Christian Javier, and Hunter Brown. I think that once Altuve gets back and Abreu cannot be this bad and Bregman's going to get hot and... I don't really have thoughts about Jeremy Pena, but I think this is still the best team in this division. That being said, I do feel good that the Rangers are probably a square second. And so much of that is like, again, they cut to Bruce Bochy in the dugout and I'm like, that's a man who knows what he's doing. That's a man who wouldn't have come out of retirement for a circus. Yeah, no, exactly. And you know, the Rangers are at, they're a plus 81 run differential. Uh, which is, I think, a top five mark in baseball. Top two mark in baseball? I think it's the second best in baseball. Again, I know they had some blowouts recently. Uh, plus 81, whereas the Angels are at plus 12, Mariners at plus 15, and the Astros at plus 20. So I agree. I think there's there's the most upside with Houston still, just based on where they've started and who's been missing. 
Uh, I, I think you could still also argue that with with Seattle when you see how bad guys like Julio have been relatively. Uh, but at the same time, I'm with you there. The Angels, it's just like, I don't really know. I'm not really sure what the what the upside is with the Angels unless some of the pitching really turns around in a way that I'm not exactly counting on. I know that the bullpen, like a lot of their moves have been great. Estevez and Moore have been fantastic. And Hunter Renfro has been really productive. Like, it just was a thin roster to begin with, and it's just it's just not good enough. And the pitching, when it's it's just not good enough. It's it's really that simple. It's good enough to probably hang around and not trade Otani, but it is not a team where I'm like, damn, that is a really impressive group when they are clicking in the way that honestly I feel about Texas and I think Houston as well. I just can't see them winning like seven games in a row. If that makes you know what I mean? Like I know that's not the only way to be a good baseball team. Yeah. I just don't see them getting hot and I can see them getting cold if that makes sense. Yeah. So they they're fine. It's just I don't I'm just not seeing whereas Texas like when Texas is playing well and this is even with DeGrom out. And this is the thing about the the DeGrom situation and and you know, Bochi gave an update saying it's going to be at least a few more weeks and it's like I and you know Rosenthal's writing today about oh well here we go DeGrom again. Oh, this contract, this contract like I don't care how much money he's making. I don't care what what this does to their luxury tax. Like that doesn't matter. The point is, is that if they want to be really scary, he needs to be on the field, and he isn't. Right at the same time, you know, Yavaldi is awesome, and that he has looked great, and that's been one that that's been been nice. But you've seen the bullpen is just as much of a concern, I would say, outside of Will Smith and anybody than than we thought. And so that's the other the issue with that team. But their lineup has been really impressive. I've been I've been surprised by some of their younger guys, even the ones that I was quite bullish on. They they've looked really good, and I think that's what makes them the, who they are. They're gonna they're gonna bop, and Corey Seager's you know he'll be back soon. Meanwhile, the Oakland A's are 14 games out of the American League West, and I feel pretty comfortable after seeing them live last night that you can go ahead and cross them off the list. Mm -hmm. They were in New York, or they are still in New York to play the Yankees, and I just want to tell a quick story and get your thought on it, mm -hmm. thoughts on it. So I'm in the A's locker room yesterday, and they get like a package, okay? And they undo the package, they open the package, and it's like one of those light-up um, Thor hammers that make sounds like it makes like a lightning bolt sound when you hit mm, it right sound, okay because they're doing like an avengers theme for their home run celebrations like they have hulk hands now they're like getting this and all the guys are in the locker room messing around with it and you know i'm talking to someone in the clubhouse and they're basically like this team has eight wins they have eight eight they have won eight baseball games this year they have a minus 134 run differential. Are Do they really need a home run celebration? Do they really need to buy a light-up hammer? And I thought about it, and I watched these young, average, below-average Major League Baseball players, still impressive, mess around in the clubhouse with this dumb hammer. And I was like, you know what? Baseball is hard. Life is harder. Have a good time. Enjoy yourself. Because does it look silly when you hit a homer to cut the score 10 to 3 in the eighth for what will be your 103rd loss of the season in July? Yes, it looks a little silly. But what's the alternative, right? Putting on some Juice World or Phoebe Bridgers and having a glass of whiskey in the dugout and crying yourself to sleep? 
No, that's not the alternative. I feel very strongly about this. Generally, I would say, yeah, any anyone should do it. That's that's where I stand. But it, if I am going to be more discerning when it comes to who is in best position to have a home run celebration, uh, I would say that the A's have a much better, I feel way better about the A's doing it than the Cardinals or the White Sox or teams who came into the season with people expecting a lot of them. Because in those situations, the fans are like, God damn it, dude. Like, we need to figure our shit out seriously because we were counting on you to actually be a good baseball team. Not one of us had any thought about that about the A's coming into the season. They've been set up to fail. They have been put together to lose as many baseball games as possible. And so when they have any amount of success on a major league baseball field, they should absolutely be celebrating it. Because to your point, obviously baseball is hard. And yes, you could apply that to the teams that are disappointing relative to expectations. But I have no issue with this whatsoever. The A's are going to have to celebrate every positive baseball thing that happens to them on the field no matter what. Because the thing is, is that the fans, as hard as it is for the fans, of course, right? They're not the ones losing the games. Now, we'll see. what We know that there's all kinds of stuff happening right now with the, with the A's in Vegas and all that stuff. And we'll check in on that when we feel like we need to. But the point is, is that these players are the ones who have to go out and live this and, and lose 100 games, 110 games, 120 games, maybe. And so anytime they have success, whether it's in a win or a loss, I hope they are loving every second of it. And they have to answer for all the bullshit. Yes. It's not their fault. If any of these guys were like the 23rd, 24th, or 25th, or 26th guy on a team, they'd be fine. But it's just that the whole boat is made out of them. And so they're looking around, and it's a very odd dynamic because they all know that they're a bad team. But they all believe that they're good enough to be big leaguers. Mm -hmm. And so it's a very bizarre clash. In regards to your point about celebrating it, it's like uh, Christmas in the trenches of World War One, Jordan. You appreciate the moments of joy more when you are battling through the agony of constant peril. And that is how I feel about the 2023 Oakland Athletics. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we will conduct an exit interview with Pedro Mora, former professional baseball journalist. Hey, everybody, I'm James Hinchcliffe. And I'm Alexander Rossi, and we're the hosts of Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. The biggest race on the IndyCar calendar, the Indianapolis 500, is right around the corner, which means the much-anticipated docuseries 100 Days to Indy has begun. Each Thursday, right after new episodes of the show drop on The CW, we'll be dropping our own reaction podcast on the Off Track feed as we break down everything that we saw in the episode and talk about which one of our friends are really putting it on for the camp. Listen to Off Track now on Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back here on Baseball Barbecast, Jake Mintz, Jordan Schusterman, with a very special guest, a good, good friend of the show, Pedro Mora. Hello, Pedro. How are you doing this morning? Hi, Jake. Hi, Jordan. I'm doing great. How are you guys? We are doing very well. Now, Jordan, why is Pedro here, considering that he is no longer someone paid to cover baseball? That's exactly why he's here, because uh, Pedro looks looks great this fine Wednesday morning on the Zoom. He looks like a man no longer tasked with covering the exploits of Taylor Ward and, you know, Mookie Betts. Guys like really excited. No, not his problem anymore. Pedro uh, recently announced he is uh, no longer 
covering baseball for a living, stepping away for, I believe you called it, less online ventures, so we can get into what that means. But what we wanted to do is, is perform what Jake uh, has, has uh, referred to as an exit interview, not necessarily for your specific employment uh, with Fox Sports, which we shared over the last uh, few years, but mostly just for the for the the you know the job at at large, the you covering baseball and and I think other sports at, at times over the last decade or so, and uh, how you're feeling about that as you are no lo- clearly no longer doing that as you uh, talked to us from some undetermined uh, hotel or Airbnb somewhere uh, in this great nation. So first of all, Pedro, how, how are you feeling? How are you feeling now that you are out? Uh, yeah, that's a lot. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, I I feel really good about it. I feel strange about it. I feel a lot of things about it. Um, I am in Knoxville, Tennessee, to answer your question. Um, and uh, I'm going to go hike later today with a friend in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, which I'm excited about. Um, I've been kind of, uh, I, w- I wanted to schedule something soon after I left that like, kind of put my attention on something else for a little while. Um, so I've been driving around the US and hiking and meeting up with friends and and, and um seeing seeing the smaller places that i didn't get to see um on this job while doing the job um yeah uh i baseball writing is such a such an interesting um career to choose it's um it dominates your attention um as a beat writer um it 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 was it become it became my entire identity in a way that i i didn't quite grasp maybe until i was until i was off the beat um i don't regret it it was it was it was fun in many ways but it it just came at a at a pretty huge personal cost that i wasn't um that i i, I decided that i wasn't willing to continue to pay um and i um i'm kind of ready to to see what else is is out there i just you guys are a great example of I had a lot of fun working with you two over the last couple of years. Um, and please, please don't take this the wrong way at all. But seeing how much you care about it made me realize how it, it helps me realize how little I care about baseball today. Um, and it just illuminates that like this isn't, you know, this should be this should be reserved for people who do care, um, you know, and. I don't hate baseball. I just it just doesn't it didn't it didn't give me the goosebumps that it did when I was when I was a teenager or when I was, you know, 23, 24 covering the playoffs for the first time. And um, I just it no longer moved the needle for me. And the job isn't so important, obviously, that it's worth doing um, when you don't care that much about it. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just thought there I, I hope that there's something out there for me that I can um that can either that can either make me more that, that that can that can hold my interest um or can help people um you know either or ideally both um would be would be great and so that's sort of what I'm what I'm seeking um I don't think people are going to care that much about like what I might do next but it, basically the 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 fellowships the, I'm I'm trying to pursue a couple um fellowships in worlds where I've been volunteering lately um I, I'd like to learn how to uh, to be certified to teach mountain education to to kids um, and adults. But uh, so you, you you get your own certifications to be able to handle yourself outdoors and, and supervise people. Um, I've found a lot of joy in being outside in recent years after I got off the baseball beat. And I, I'd like to share that with other people. I was a kid who grew up in within reach of all these of, of the out, of beautiful outdoors places, but didn't ever spend any time doing it. And I would like for their, you know, for other kids like me to have learned that they could love this earlier than than I did. 
Um, so that's that's one thing. I've got a couple others, uh, but I'm 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 sort of committed to not deciding right away what I'm going to do next because I decided on <laughs> baseball writing was I mean, you're talking to like the last generation of kid who grew up reading uh, newspapers, um, like two of them per day. In fact, like I'm a, I'm a big Kevin Modesti stan. Or I was when I was 15. He was like the local column the sports columnist in the second newspaper in um in la the la daily news like i was the kid who grew up reading you know the entire sports sections of the la daily news and la times back to back um every morning it's just like this was this was my obsession i'm just like kind of not there anymore um so so i want to i want to ask you a little bit more about the future in a second but let's turn the clock back and for people who maybe don't know give us the spark notes of your ball writing career okay so went to college College at USC was um, at USC. Historically, the baseball program was was wonderful. And I covered the baseball program as soon as I got there. And I was very excited about it. But the baseball program stunk. Absolutely was terrible. Uh, Chad Cruder was the coach. He had absolutely no idea what he was doing. Um, Really, really awful. Uh, So I started covering football because that's where people cared about. And um, that led to more opportunities. Got hired at ESPN to blog about USC. Did that for a few years. Realized I don't like football at all. Um, asked at a boy at a boy clap it up (laughs) we stand a man who doesn't like football at all tried to find a baseball job uh got one at the orange county register backing up the angels and dodgers um so i i shadowed two writers and um funny thing about major league baseball people still don't know this and i didn't learn this until i did this job in the major cities the two teams essentially rotate who's at home um which I think is a, is kind of an ingenious form of scheduling. And when you're a young baseball writer, it gives you an opportunity to attend baseball games essentially every day. You know, I think those years I went to basically every weekday and a lot of weekends, I was just going to games because the Angels or Dodgers would be at home all the time. So I did that for three years. 2016 became the Angels beat right at the LA Times. Worked really hard. Um, covering Did you say two, maybe too hard? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, okay. But, uh, but uh, just, you know... It, it's not that, um, you know, I know plenty of people who like even friends who are working harder during that time. There's no doubt. But what, what the, the job requires that is frustrating is that you have to work somewhat hard and you also have to be available all the freaking time, um, you know, and you're traveling all the time. Uh, and so when you count like travel hours and whatnot, it dominates your life in a way that like some friends who are pursuing other other interests who like they have to do way more technical stuff than we do. They're they're just way smarter than than I am and way just more adept at explaining at, at just at important things, but they don't, when their job was done, they were more, closer to done with their work. Right. Where, Off the yeah, clock. They had, they, yeah. And so um, I think that that came at a cost in 2018. I got hired by the, I was considering quitting the job then uh, 27 after the 2017 season, two things happened. Um, I had taken the LSAT and I was going to go to law school, which I I'm really happy. I didn't do. Um, I uh, <laughs> the angel signs Shohei Otani which I thought would make the job more interesting. And then the athletic offered me the opportunity to cover the Dodgers, which had been the team I grew up cheering for. And I thought would be also a significant opportunity. So I decided to stay. Um, Three weeks into the, to the, my first year covering the Dodgers, which had been my dream the entire time. I had a personal tragedy happen when my mom suffered a traumatic brain injury. And I, uh, that season ended up being for me just uh, impossibly emotionally taxing in a way that like I actually did over the next year, the best work of my career uh, somehow, but it, it uh, because I was going against our good friend, Andy McCullough, who motivated me to, to, to uh, I was really trying 
as hard as I've ever tried learning more than I, and, and pushing myself to, to produce as many stories so I could, you know, measure up to him in some way. Uh, but it just came at a huge personal cost in the sense that like, I'd had nothing else going on in my life that year besides the, the Dodgers and, um, and my mom. And so I think it took me, I was still like smarting from that. It's she's, she, her recovery has been long. And, um, over the next couple of years, it was still not a sort of, um, there was not a lot of off time on the job um, and and in life, and so it, it just it just kept draining for me. And then when the pandemic hit, I was um, you know nervous about her status and uh, nervous about everything, obviously. But it quickly it became uh, an opportunity for me to slow down in a way that I had never had, uh, and I you know learned from that and learned how wonderful it could be. And um, and so I don't think I've thought about the job the same since then. And so that's, uh, and then, yeah, after the 2020 season, um, I had an opportunity to write a book about the Dodgers, which I published last year and the Fox sports hired me. And I did that, wrote the book and then worked for Fox sports for two years and then submitted my resignation, uh, in March and left last week. So that's the cliff notes version. It feels like we, uh, right. What you just described there is kind of a, an arc that in some ways you control, in some ways things were happening that were out of your control that influenced your investment in the job. Um, what I'm curious about now as, as we kind of move forward is how long ago did you, you mentioned, you started off with how you cared about baseball, right? And so I'm curious if there was a time, clearly you were super duper invested in, in the job. At, at certain times for various different reasons. But from a pure you know, fan of the sport, which I assume you were as a kid, as you acknowledged, when did that start to change? Because this is something, a topic that sort of came up when we had uh, Mark Kerrig on recently, talking about how that adjusted since he became a, uh, covering baseball and particularly on the beat. Um, so I'm curious that element and how that has changed to the point where you kind of are now with your baseball fandom, if you still have that at all. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's funny when you're when you're doing our job and report and interviewing players, you're always asking when they're describing one thing as when they're describing a change in their career and they're in the way they approach something mentally or physically, you're always asking, I can't tell you how many times I asked like a player, is there a specific time you remember where it changed from this to that? And 95% of the time, they're like, no, it wasn't actually a specific thing. And I'm always like, ah, really, like, it would be way better if you actually had one. <laughs> Um, and <laughs> that's the and, answer you're about to give me. And, right. <laughs> and yeah, the answer is that, uh, I, it, it just sort of, it's, I don't know. I mean, there's, you know, there's 30 stories. Like I, I remember it kind of slowly eroding, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. over time, but there's no, it's not like one day I woke up and I was like, wow, I don't care. You know, mm-hmm. I remember that, um, I remember that my second opening day covering the angels 2017 was like the first time that I was not all that excited for opening day. You know, I remember the first year I covered it at, for the Dodgers. I was like, they, they, I remember the the song that was they, they played as the intro song, and I remember my whole body was just goosed up, and I was like, "This is incredible! Like, oh my god, this is all I wanted to do." And I was 22, and I was like, "This is amazing! This is life!" You know. Um. So uh, five years, I guess it took for that that part to go away. Um. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's it's. I think it's actually overall less that I don't care about baseball, and more that I just have so many other things that I've learned I like, um, and that there's just not enough time. It's like I still enjoy talking about baseball. I still enjoy watching it. Um, it. There's just other things that I have either more control over that I can do with my or that I find more interesting, basically. And so that baseball has just kind of fallen from first from like a number one with a bullet where it was to like fourth or fifth place. And so 
that's all. It's it's that's probably the the most accurate way to describe it. It doesn't feel necessarily always like that, but it's that's what it is. It's just like you have you have a few free hours a day to spend how you how you choose, and baseball is just not the the first choice. That's all. That's all, that's all it really is. And I think even though Jordan and I are at a point in our lives where baseball is number one with a bullet still, I think the fact that we have both now moved in with the people that we love and are going to spend the rest of our lives with and that we spend a lot of time with those people has altered the way that we consume the sport, at least on a time basis. And so even though I cannot relate to you (laughs) being like, yeah, it's fifth. Like that, I can't relate to. I do understand the idea of wanting to do other things than sit in front of a computer or in a press box and watch endless hours of the sport. That yeah. I get. Well, you just have, you also just have essentially more hours in the day than 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 most people do, Jake. I don't really understand how, but like in terms of your energy for, cons- for, for consumption, like I just cannot... I cannot observe and consume as many as many things in a day as I've I've seen that you can. And so I don't I mean, I'm not saying that like you that this is unfair or anything like that. You get this because you have energy for it and like you work for it. But I it's I just don't have that 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 capacity to like, you know, wake up and consume bicycling content on YouTube. Sorry if I'm outing you for that. No, uh, and then and not then, <laughs> outing him whatsoever. <laughs> and uh, and then also watch the like check in on baseball games throughout the day. It's just I just don't. I'm I'm much more of a, a like a, a lizard brain, single single task at a time person. Like that's just that that's the way I appreciate it. And so when I was enjoying baseball on the beat, like what I loved about it was that like it would be the only thing I was doing that day. Like my best job, my best stories was like that's you know from from the from game time and even before game time till 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 deadline. There was nothing else. I wasn't even looking at my phone. I wasn't seeing what was going on and i i love that about it in some ways but the problem is then you check your phone and like you know you've just been missing things because <laughs> this is like in the hours that everyone else in your life is 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 doing their fun things and relaxing yeah. and so they're just like it just came I, it, it became harder and harder over time to like to to um to accept that just locking into this baseball like it was one thing to do that when i was 23 and like nothing was important it felt like but it's another thing when you're 32. let's get a little bit specific here for a second I'm going to ask you some quick hitters as you look back on your career. Who is your favorite player to ever cover? Not the best person or your favorite person uh, as a human, but the uh, most interesting, comparing, compelling character that you liked to think and write about. Well, I, I have two answers. I'm going to give you two. Sorry, I can't. I can't do. I can't split it up between those. Um, I think the the most obvious answer is is Mookie Betts um, because I'm endlessly fascinated by um, his um, his perspective and ability to extract the maximum out of his body and mind, um, and I think um, he is um, he is from a watching baseball perspective. Uh, he's the person I've most enjoyed watching. And when I've interacted with him, with him, which has not been that many times, which is why I can't I can't give only him as my answer. I've been intrigued by his ability to put things in perspective and and his perspective overall. And I really enjoyed writing about him, reporting about him for the book. Um, he I just didn't you know, the the years I never covered him as a full time beat writer um, because in 2020, when the Dodgers acquired him was the pandemic year. And so I don't I don't I don't necessarily feel like it it's earned in that way. Um, the other answer would be this closer for the Angels that they had while I was on the beat, named 
Houston Street. Um, I guess he's fairly. Yeah, I don't know. People don't. Uh, he's he's of the, he's in that weird world of baseball where like he's not that famous, you know. But this dude made eighty million dollars playing baseball. Um, he was and, on the Hall uh, of Fame ballot, Pedro. So he was. He he was. Um, but like you know, the average folk the p- person does not know who Houston right. Street is. Um, I covered him, and he was um he was by far by like three tears the most willing to engage with reporters um, of any player I've ever covered. Um, uh, well, not by three tiers. The other, the other candidate would for that would be Ross Stripling, who um, who was on the Giants now, and is and and, and reporters are once again loving him because he is so kind and respectful to everyone. Um, Houston Street was always willing to like argue with you, um, which is which is a, a, my my preferred um, love language, and uh, he, you know, you could engage on every subject, uh, every subject, like from you know just just name a subject, and we've we've argued about it. And uh, after he retired, I went down and visited him and spent a couple uh, boozy days with him uh, where we just drove around the city of Austin on his golf cart. Uh, and just he just talked about his his goals for life. Um, you know, we see the world very differently, <laughs> extremely differently. His goal is to amass a billion dollars. My goal is not to do that. Um, <laughs> uh, but but I found it, you know, in the sense that like you friend you know one of the values of relationships with people is trying to understand other ways to see the world right and um and i think he really opened my eyes to like i'd never really quite understood how a rich person really sees the world i guess and i think he and 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 an excellent athlete and somebody who specialized in this one thing and his career is very interesting to me from that perspective of like he threw like 650 innings or something like that i mean there's there's starting pitchers that no one knows who've thrown more innings than him in his in their careers and made a couple million dollars and had to do other things after baseball. And he, you know, he's so specialized in this one thing from the time he was 18 years old, right? He specialized this in college and um and understood very very early on that this would get him paid and just did that for the next 15 years, almost 20 yeah. years. And um, I found that really um. You know, that's not what I want in my life at all. I want to I want to kind of spread out and learn and be competent in a variety of things. That's the goal for me. But I think it also makes a lot of sense to try to get as good as you can at this one thing that the world values. And I thought it was it was it was always really informative to me to hear that perspective from him and to observe how how one goes about like maximizing in one thing. Yeah. All right. One of my last questions for you, Pedro, is if you had to distill your experience as a beat writer into one interaction, one story, one game. How would you do that? We, people ask us, oh, what's the craziest story of, and you know, we usually revert back to our road trips and some of the goofy things we saw in the minor leagues where we were like, man, this is, this is the life we've chosen. Is there any game or story that you wrote that, that sums it up? I mean, what you just talked about Houston street is a, is pretty is a pretty good one in terms of going down to Austin, but that seems like it was a little bit more on the side. So, uh, what in yeah. terms of a, a as from a day to day covering a baseball season, is there one thing that stands out can, when you think back on? Can I answer for Pedro quickly a story that he relayed to me once, and I want to see sure. if I can get it right. If that's okay. okay. Uh, you were in an unspecified clubhouse, and a player had been sent on the IL, and. Uh, a reporter walked in and asked that player if they could hide out in the training room so that that reporter could get the scoop on this mediocre player's moving to the IL. That's a great one. Uh, I was not thinking of that at the moment, but it was that's perfect. Uh, that's that's absolutely uh, the ideal. Uh, let me write a story in terms of my own uh, career. <laughs> 
that one's perfect, Jake. It really is. That does encapsulate it. And like, no shade. I mean, you know, you you spend your whole life on on this beat. Like, uh, you might as well get your scoops where you can get them and maximize yeah. it. Um, I think it's I think it's crazy to care that much, but that's no more power to you if you do. I guess is my stance. Um, I'm trying to think of like a story that would. I think that, to explain the job, the job is not about one moment, right? The job is all about just right. it's, the it's lingering the it's, time yeah. that yeah. you're there and how how annoying and frustrating it can be, but how you can never predict when the rewarding elements will emerge. And so there's that's that's an inescapable part of the job. Um, but I would say I'm thinking I think here's a good example. As Albert Pujols was going to, to hit 600 home runs uh, on his on his way to it in um, 2017, I was working on a big story about how basically his body had been in decline and how he was struggling. Um, and um but he was but what he still did well uh, at that time and i spent you know, like weeks talking to teammates former coaches um about about his like his his body and deterioration and his game in decline and what he still did well and um albert is a vocal presence or was a vocal presence in the clubhouse he was he, he was frequently would let you know when he was displeased with a story or a line of questioning and so I was very prepared when I published this this Albert on the hunt for 600 home runs story. I mean, it began with like a statement about how bad his body had aged. And I was like very deeply prepared for him to like confront me about it. Um, and he didn't at all. Um, like there was I thought there was a cool anecdote in there that like Bud Norris, who who um, who did not <laughs> they did not get along and had he'd given up a home run to Albert and he was he was annoyed that he mentioned he was so annoyed by this that he mentioned it to me that he walked by Albert's locker and Albert would occasionally be watching the home run he hit off of Bud Norris many years earlier um, to pump himself up, up. And he Bud so hated this that he mentioned this to me. And then I uh, through that, I realized that Albert to uh, during the 2017 season as a as a pump up device, he watched his old home runs from years earlier to look back on how dominant he used to be. And I thought that was really interesting. All this stuff is in the story. And um, I was expecting him to be like, dude, what the fuck? You know, and uh, he didn't. And then he hit 600 home runs. And my dumb lizard brain during the press conference, he mentions that his wife um, texted him during the game to like with a with the hint of uh, to, to like ease back in his stance. And he uh, and he followed that advice and hit the home run. And then there was an off day, I believe, the next day. And we went to Detroit. And on the off day, for some reason, I'm not defending myself. So please don't interpret it as such. I emailed the league and was like. Hey, uh, this player like uh, you know said he used his phone during the game. Isn't that against the rules? Like, are you gonna um, are you gonna like suspend him or, or like look into? Are you gonna like is he gonna be in trouble for this? What a and, boner! Uh, <laughs> and um, and they're like, um, no, he's 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 not currently under um, investigation for this. And I was like, great. Uh, that's really all I wanted. I just wanted to put it in a notebook. I just needed to fill out space. Um, all right, maybe that's what I wanted. Maybe or maybe I wanted to find a controversy. I don't know. Uh, and uh, and then there's like 10, 10 words at the bottom of my notebook that day when we get to Detroit that says like Albert Pujols will not be investigated by the league for using his cell phone during his 600th home run game. Um, and then I walk into the clubhouse. He's like, "Bro, you didn't have to do that." And I was like, "No, that's my job, man." He's like, "No, you didn't have to do that." And I was like, "That's my job." And he's like, "You didn't have to do that." And I was like, "That's my job." And I've come to realize that he was right. Yeah. <laughs> Albert, <laughs> Albert, uh, you you may have had a good point there, uh, Mr. Pujols. Yeah, it, it's just funny to me that um, I didn't anticipate that, you know, I had written 2,500 words about his body decline and he said nothing. I was not expecting, um, which, you know, I stood by the words. I was just expecting him to, to argue about it with me. And uh, it was it was an interesting response uh, to, to not do that at all. And then 
when I'd written 10 words at the bottom of a notebook that that probably 80 people in the world read. Uh, the fact that he took umber to that was was interesting to me. So that that I think illuminates how this job is like. You, just, you don't know. You just you never know what's gonna you know what's gonna move the needle for for your subjects for the readers. Uh, I mean, you do sometimes, but like there's there's the, there's a huge element of unpredictability. I have nothing else for you, Pedro. Do you have any parting words or things you would like to plug or mention or get off your chest before you quite literally walk into the woods? Um, no, thank you guys. It's fun to talk to you both anytime. Um, but, uh, it's, it's, it's been fun to talk about this. Um, I, um, I really enjoyed, uh, lots of parts of this job and it's fun. And I, I'm, I'm excited to see the next generation of people do it. Um, I, I'd like to see us, um, get to a place where like more people were reading baseball, be writing. I think what, what I found maybe like the one frustrating part we didn't talk about today is like, for as many people care about baseball, not that many people read the daily articles. And I never quite understood that because if you're that invested, um, why don't you want to read what's been written about your team and your and the players, you know? And um, I think that's the part that, it, that, you know, that creates some issues in the industry overall. Like that creates monetization problems. And it it's just, it just feels like um, you're not serving a huge audience, even though there is a massive audience with the sport, you know, there's millions of people watching on television, but only, you know, a, a fraction of 1% of those people are reading. So I would say if you're listening to this podcast, and you, you know, you want people to be covering the game, the game you love, like, read of it, read it, like, more, read more of it. Um, check out your local B writers, you know, learn what you like about what they do and what you don't I interact with them, email them. Um, I think it's I don't understand why not. And I think you might like it if you do, I guess that that'd be my, that'd be my parting words. Uh, and by Pedro's book, how to beat a broken game uh, came out last year. If you like, if you, you know, Dodgers say they're, they look okay. They're going to be just fine without Pedro <laughs> angels. Maybe not so much. Uh, Pedro, Mora, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. And um, I feel like the next time we have you on here, you will be not in this country, but who knows? Uh, looking forward to uh, whenever that is and good luck with whatever's next. Thank you, Jake. Thanks, Jordan. Hey, everybody. I'm James Hinchcliffe. And I'm Alexander Rossi. And we're the hosts of Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. The biggest race on the IndyCar calendar, the Indianapolis 500, is right around the corner, which means the much-anticipated docuseries 100 Days to Indy has begun. Each Thursday, right after new episodes of the show drop on The CW, we'll be dropping our own reaction podcast on the Off Track feed as we break down everything that we saw in the episode and talk about which one of our friends are really putting it on for the camp. Listen to Off Track now on Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome back to the end of a long episode of Baseball Barbacast. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. Neither of us are leaving the baseball analyst industry quite yet, although Pedro kind of made me want to. All right, let's hop back into the discussion with a man who is also not leaving baseball for a while, Carlos Correa. Carlos Correa, who got a massive fat contract over the offseason despite multiple uh, will he, won't he's and a plate in his ankle signed with the twins and only a month and a half into the season, he is getting booed by the Minnesota faithful because he has sucked eggs so far this season. Correa always aware after the game yesterday said, quote, I'd boo me too. 
What about the situation is interesting to you, Jordan? My favorite part is that the twins got Correa for like $100 million less than he was originally going to sign for after not at all believing that he would ever come back and celebrated his return very fervently and are already booing him. Yeah, it's it's a great uh, encapsulation of fandom. Twins in first place, right? Obviously, they haven't exactly been dominant and offensively in particular, they have been kind of shockingly inept. But uh, at the same time, as he says, like he's been really bad and I don't really understand why he just, I looked into this a little bit last week, wrote a little bit about it at Fox. Like this was, he had a really bad April last year too, really bad. Similarly, like almost identical OPS last year. But now, you know, we're halfway through May. He doesn't look that much better. Uh, just, just strange that the twins offense, just a super weird, you know, freaky Friday situation where they have the best pitching staff in the league or like one of the best pitching staffs in the league and they just can't score runs. It's, it's very strange, but still good enough to be in first place. Shouts out to the twins fan base for cosplaying Yankee fans, right? If you, if you want to beat them, you got to be them. And there's nothing Yankee fans like more than booing their own players. So this is a galaxy brain move from the folks at Target Field. I like this. They should be booing everyone, even the good players. Yeah, but uh, whatever. Correa's on it. Like, he knows he's been shitty, and that's it's not that complicated. Carlos Correa <laughs> is very self-aware, relatively. Yes. As yes, far as no, baseball he's players He's not go. the kind of guy that is good. Yeah, he, he's well, well aware of the situation. I promise you he is doing all he needs to, uh, to get back to being Carlos Correa. Let's move on to someone else who has been booed by his own fans before. Gary Sanchez, Jake. Gary Sanchez signed a minor league deal with the Mets. The Mets have lost eight of their last 10. Is it worth doing a Mets con soon with our friend Bobby Wagner? Probably, probably, but we're not quite there yet. But let's talk about Gary for a second. Gary, of course, spends all of the offseason not finding a job. He plays for the Dominican Republic in the WBC. He signs with the Giants at like the last minute. Sucks in AAA, never makes it up to the big league with them, gets released. And now the Mets are signing Gary Sanchez to a minor league deal. I put out a poll yesterday asking people, how many games will Gary Sanchez appear in for the New York Mets in 2023? The four poll options were 0, 1 to 10, 11 to 30, or 31 plus. What did you vote for, Jake? Zero, Jordan. I voted for zero. All right. Why did you vote for zero? Because he's not very good anymore. So why did they sign Gary Sanchez then? I don't know. Just in case they're like, I guess he is just a worse old version of Francisco Alvarez. So that if like he gets hurt, they could just put him up there and not change the vibe. But yeah. it's very weird. If I'm Gary Sanchez, like go, I'm just going to Korea and, and rake it. Yeah, that probably is the best way to get the mojo back. Uh, he had a 501 OPS in 16 games with AAA Sacramento. Now, I mean, to me, what stands is just like Tomas Nito has been like legendarily horrible on offense when he has been playing and they have been wanting to play him. But I, I like you said, like they should just be playing Alvarez. He has two homers last night. Just play the kid, like whatever. I don't, this is not that complicated. I guess this is just more injury insurance. You know, Narvaez is still going to be out for a while, but just strange and obviously a great, a great headline for a move that probably will not end up mattering. 39.6%, the majority did also vote zero. 36% said one to 10. So, you know, a similar number still thinks he will get into a game for the Mets. If he couldn't get into a game for the Giants, I don't think he's getting into a game for the Mets, but we will see. 
All right, Jordan, it's time for your new segment, Prospect Time. Mm. I want to get like a little audio drop here that's a bunch of, you know, kindergarten age kids going, Prospect Time, Prospect Time. But we can work on that in the future. We want to turn our eye towards the children in the minor leagues, chugging their way up to the biggest of leagues, trying to improve their skills. And we need to talk about a gentleman by the name of Ellie De La Cruz. To call him a kid is very much misleading. Jordan, what did Ellie De La Cruz do last night? And who is this guy? And why do people need to know about him? Ellie De La Cruz is a switch hitting shortstop for the Cincinnati Reds in the Cincinnati Reds organization. He's currently with AAA Louisville. Oh. Last night, he had a double and two home runs. Wow, what's so great about a double and two home runs? Oh, wow, what's so amazing? You know, all kinds of terrible players have had a double and two home runs in a game. What if I told you, Jake, that these three extra base hits came off the bat at 118.8 miles an hour, 116.6 miles an hour, and 117.1 miles an hour? I believe the first two were from the left side of the plate, and the last one was from the right side of the plate. Ellie De La Cruz just did something that no major league team has done as a team in a single game. That is hit three balls over uh, 116 in a single game. This is freak show stuff. There is a re- These are the kinds of stats that stand out, that jump off, because you say, oh, that is, you literally are physically different than the other players on the field. Now, if you just look at him, you know that. But when you watch Ellie and you watch him move and you watch... Now, listen, we said a lot of these same things about O'Neill Cruz, and it is a strikingly similar profile. Ellie is a different level because his production, his speed, and his switch hitting, and honestly, bats a ball ability, though he is also chasing a ton and striking out a good bit, is a level above O'Neill Cruz. And this guy is, is special. And he will be in Cincinnati at some point this year. I'm very confident about that. And uh, look at me. I'm, I'm backing my way into maybe having one of the most exciting players in baseball uh, at the closest Major League Park to me. So I'm pretty excited to watch Ellie in person because I've not – I guess he was in the Futures game. Was he in the Futures game last year? I'm not even – for some reason, I'm forgetting. I know he had, he's had some injuries too, but he's, he's amazing. Pretty fun player. Not enough for me to move to Indiana, but I understand that it was enough for you. Next Here's prospect. A, I, Go ahead. I just wanted to say the one thing is um, obviously Reds people are talking about Ellie all the time, but uh, Charlie Goldsmith, uh, one of the Reds uh, beat writers who I've become friendly with, we've had multiple times where he keeps saying Dylan Cruz, and I keep thinking he's saying Dylan Cruz. We've had multiple mix-ups of Dylan, and I have to adjust. If I'm at Great American Ballpark, he's probably not talking about Dylan Cruz. It's Della Cruz. Ellie, Ellie Dylan Cruz. What a player. Ellie. <laughs> Ellie Dylan Cruz is incredible. Ellie Dylan Cruz is literally the greatest player of all time because everything, yeah. everything, like <laughs> Ellie Dylan Cruz's biggest weakness is Dylan Cruz's biggest strength. And so I, I would say, which is not swinging at garbage. So I would say that would be an all time player. Anyway, who's next? Great video from yesterday. Jackson Holiday, son of Matt Holiday in the minor leagues with the Orioles. Last year's number one overall pick went yard. In his first home game for High A Aberdeen in the Orioles system, where I will hopefully be later this week to see Jackson Holiday in person. I will give a report on that next week. But after the game, he was asked about his approach in that at bat. And Holiday was incredibly honest, saying, 
I was trying to hit a home run. I wanted to hit a home run. You tweeted this, Jordan, but so many times we see players asked after they hit a home run what they were trying to do, and they say, oh, I was just trying to not be too complicated and you know cut down on my approach and just trying to put the ball in play and put bat on ball. And Jackson Holiday was like, fuck that. I'm trying to go yabo. I'm trying to hit it over the freaking fence. Well, his his reasoning was good. He he elaborated basically saying like, I had some bad swings earlier in the game, ground balls. And also, I mean, he didn't mention this part. They were up nine, nothing. And it's like, look, we won the game. I'm here to, I, I'm trying to hit my first home run. I'm trying to give the, the crowd something to cheer about. And I love that. And when you're this good and my God, Jackson Holiday, wow, he has been amazing. Uh, Orioles, look at you. Um, but yeah, it's, it's great. More of this. And, and, and this is a great thing too. Cause it's like, what are you, what are you going to get mad at him? Like <laughs> he's, he's being honest and he almost like is reluctantly like, look, man. Yeah. That's, that's what I was trying to do. How many times have players been like thinking like I was trying to hit a home run, but they're like, I'm not trying to do too much. Who didn't say that? Oh, that was close. <laughs> because his coaches in the Orioles want him to try to hit home runs. Right. <laughs> right. That's right. the goal. Clearly, that, that is an approach in the Orioles farm system that is working, which is a good segue to the other quick Orioles thing. This is getting nitty-gritty, but I have to bring it up because it's our podcast. Who cares? We're going to do prospect time. We're going to do prospect time. Jake, are you aware of what Creed Willems has been up to? No, I have not, but I know that he is a – was it Arizona? Okay. Creed Willems. I'm going to give a quick little, little, no, I, people are like, who the fuck is this? I, I promise you, you'll be interested in Creed Willems at 30 seconds from now. Creed Willems was the Orioles eighth round pick in 2021. Earlier in the 2021 draft, the Orioles were trying to do some uh, bonus pool shenanigans where they were saving some money for some guys. They didn't end up getting picked. But the point is, is in the eighth round, the Orioles gave this kid Creed Willems a million dollars. He was not that much he was not highly talented. He's like this really chunky catcher, first baseman from Texas. But, you know, he did some events in the showcase circuit. But when the Orioles gave Creed Willems a million dollars, much of the industry was like, what? Like, that's who you were saving your money for? Like, this is very weird. And last year, Creed Willems was terrible. He went to Delmarva and had a 586 OPS. And everyone was like, what? Are we, what? Why did they give Creed Will like?" I'm happy for the kid. He got a million dollars. He was not considered like a top high school prospect. They gave him a million. Okay, very weird. Well, <laughs> fast forward to this year, and Creed Willems has been one of the best hitters in minor league baseball. 11-21 OPS, seven homers in his first 22 games. Still uh, young for the level in a ball. And he looks like, I mean, he's he is a he is a big a big boy. He's absolutely raking. And the reason I'm bringing all this up is to say, one, this is just hilarious, but two, Orioles hitting development is ridiculous. And what we have to realize now is that as important as the draft is, and we can line up the players and we can say, oh, this guy's better than that guy. Same thing with pitching. Development matters. Where these guys go is a huge deal. I know this is true in the NFL and NBA would say, oh, well, we'll see where he ends up. People don't necessarily say that in baseball in the same way. Well, they should. Because when these teams, certain teams take these players, we should have more faith in them. Same way with Cleveland with pitchers, Seattle with pitching now. Let's not act surprised anymore when these teams are churning out these prospects in these ways. Have you ever dreamed late at night that Dan Vogelback had a mullet and a mustache? And was from well, Texas might, instead of Florida? That might be Creed Williams, my friends. Holy Lord, do some Googling. 
This is just I I don't maybe he's maybe he's cut down on some weight since last year, but uh, he's amazing. So anyway, I I'm I'm rooting for this kid because literally the whole industry was laughing, and now we're like, well, fuck, here we go. All right, uh, a couple of prospects I just wanted to mention, guys in the big leagues. Zach Neto hit his first homer last night. Um, Zach Neto is really fun, and the fact that he is even competent less than a year removed from playing for the Campbell Camels is amazing. Is he going to save the Angels season? Probably not, but it's really impressive what he's been doing. So shouts out to Zach Neto. And then Casey Schmidt hit his first uh, career home run coming up for the Giants. Just another player from the 2020 shortened draft that I was a big fan of. Guy who was a two-way player at San Diego State and then just has become a really legitimate third base prospect. Amazing defender and clearly has some real pop too. So Again, Giants, really weird team. Don't know how good they are, but Casey Schmidt's a really good player. I'm excited to see him at the big league level. Jordan, let's save our email for Friday. We've gone pretty long here on this Wednesday and say goodbye. Let's wrap up the podcast. Thank you all for listening. Really yeah. lovely to have Pedro on. Like, yes. I can't speak highly high enough of, of him as a person and as like a mentor to us and someone who could have traded two young dummies like us over-eager idiots with scorn and instead he approached us with kindness um, and I think we'll be forever thankful for that and we wish 100%. him the best in his life beyond the realm 100% uh, thank you to Pedro thank you to Chris Tyler for producing uh, again you can email us baseballbarbacast at gmail.com that's B-A-R-B-Cast uh, we will we will check back in on the Contreras situation on Friday but until then enjoy the rest of your week and thanks for listening goodbye Sirius XM Podcasts.